With that, we go to God's Word, uh, Zechariah chapter 13. We left off of Zechariah for a little while, and now it's a good time because it focuses on some of the passages leading up to Good Friday, or even prophesies about the death of Jesus. It's a whole string of them, a whole uh, number of passages that refer to that. Um, The last time we looked at Zechariah was the one that was, uh, who would be pierced. But our focus today is 13 verse 1, the fountain. Uh, Just that one verse. And I'll read that first, and then we'll read um, Zechariah 12, verse 10, up to 13, verse 6. But verse 1 of chapter 13 says, In that day a fountain shall be opened up for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. But let's start with uh, chapter 12, verse 10. It's in the context of God. God is often saying, in that day, in that day, referring to the coming of Christ when he comes to the earth the first time. And he says, and I will pour out, uh, sorry, and I will pour on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So when you hear house of David, inhabitants of Jerusalem, think of the church. That's the Old Testament church. Not physical descendants, but the church of Christ. Right? Already in the Old Testament. I will pour on them the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself. Their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by itself, and their house and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. So the whole house of God is cast into mourning. In that day, says God, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cut, cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. It shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, You shall not live, because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who begot him shall thrust him through, when he prophesies. It shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive. But he will say, I am no prophet, I'm a farmer. For a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? And then he will answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So verses 2 through 6 is another huge passage for another time. Our focus is verse 1, although we'll get into verse 2 a little bit. But uh, in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. You know, you read the Bible, you'll come across so many references to fountain. 
I don't know if there's so many fountains around anymore, but I remember growing up as a child, you see these fountains in the parks. You turn it, and then the water would come out, and you would slurp from it. It was called a fountain, a water fountain. But the scripture many times refers to fountain. For you, for with you is the fountain of life. Psalm 36, verse 9. Talking about God. For with you is the fountain of life. Um, Jeremiah, he says to God's people, you have forsaken me. Okay, God is saying to them, you have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So God is pictured here as a fountain of living waters. Proverbs 14 says, the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It's the fountain of life. Or how about this one? For your wife. Right? Let your fountain be blessed. Proverbs there is referring to the, to the wife. Let your fountain be blessed. So many more connections to fountain throughout Scripture. You can think of wells. Married marriages. Where do, where do men often find their brides? At wells <laughs> throughout Scripture. You've been seen in John 4, right? The Samaritan woman comes to the well, and who's he find as his bridegroom? Actually, Jesus finds her. He's the bridegroom. Okay, after her, she had seven husbands. But you know, the fountain is always a picture of, of life, refreshing, cool. It's the kind of flow that goes on and on and on. It's never ending, it's overflowing, never failing, supply of water. It's rich, the source is full, and it continues and continues. And now we come to this really very beautiful, this rich passage in Zechariah, a fountain. But there's a certain action described to this fountain. A fountain shall be opened. It's a promise. You look at this verse, shall be. It's a promise. A fountain shall be opened. A promise from God. When will it be opened? In that day. What day? Well, several times our passage, if you read through Zechariah 12 and 13, refers to in that day. It refers to a day in the future. Some may say, well, that, ret- that ultimately returns to the return of Christ when he comes back again. And certainly you see the full fulfillment of that. But really, that day refers to the time from the time of the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. In that day. We live in that day. It's in that context, Zechariah, the Lord through Zechariah, speaks of three great events. Three great events that are brought together that will bring about our salvation. What is it? If you look at 12 verse 10, the piercing of Christ. You know that? This is 500 years before. This is spoken. 500 years before. God through Zechariah says there will be the piercing of Christ. And then four verses later, the opening of the fountain. And then you have in 13 verse 7, which you hope to look at next time, is the striking of the shepherd, referring to Christ himself. You know what? Here you see the sovereign God. The sovereign God, he's the one who's going to direct all things, all details, according to his plan, and he will accomplish his purposes. A fountain shall be 
open. God is absolutely trustworthy. And when Jesus enters Jerusalem, what will he do? He will set in motion these events listed here leading to his crucifixion on the cross. It's not the roll of the dice. Oh yeah, yeah, we should start fulfilling this. No, no, no. This is not chance. It's not the roll of dice. It's not accident. This is all directed by the sovereign God who's going to accomplish his purpose. Specific, detailed events <laughs> that will be fulfilled at the cross. And so from 13 verse 1, we see the fountain of God's grace shall be open for whom? The house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now please understand, the house of David refers to the church, God's covenant people. Of course, that has expanded now to people from all over the world. Jews and Gentiles were part of the house of David, right, in Christ. But the promise is to the church. Okay, the, the fountain will be opened. The fountain shall be opened for two purposes. Okay, for forgiveness and cleansing. Forgiveness and cleansing. And for renewal. Always think of the work of Christ as, first of all, forgiving our sins through his blood. But he's not a half a Christ. He's a full Christ. He not only forgives us our sins through his blood, but he also imparts his Holy Spirit for renewing our lives. He takes away the old and gives us the fullness of the new. Okay, so those two points, you see it really in verse 1 already. Also in context of verses 2 through 6. But you read in verse 1 again. God comes with a promise, and he wants us to hear that. In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the house of Jerusalem. For what? For sin and for uncleanness. It's for sinful people. It's for people who are unclean. And when you think of unclean, we make any, so many associations, don't we? To lepers, to the bad, to the evil, to the unjust, to the criminal. Right? A fountain shall be opened. Now, until the coming of Christ, God made provision for sins of his people. How? Through what? Through the blood of goats and bulls. And those sacrifices, the Bible makes, they were very temporary. They were there only until the time of Christ. Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter 10 says they were a continual reminder of sins every year. So it's always the sacrifices. A continual reminder of the sins every year. And then it says in Hebrews 10 verse 4, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. So really the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the, the blood of bulls and goats, they cried out. They were crying out for someone greater. They were crying out for the once-for-all-time sacrifice to come. The once-for-all sacrifice to save his people from their sin, where it would no longer be repeated, where there would be that infinite fount where we could draw from. Now, Jeremiah 9 already promises the Lord their God would save his people in that day. And now in 12 and 13, he shows the way the salvation of his people will happen. And it will not be without a cost. A cost to whom? The cost 
of the one whom God sends into the world, the cost of his, the life of his son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the cost of the life of his people, but the cost of his son. And you look at that time, chapter 12, looks to that time on that day when the nations will battle against Jerusalem. What does that day refer to? Well, that was the battle. The battle against Christ in Jerusalem was the battle against Jerusalem. We have to understand that. It's not referring to the end times. It refers to the time when they battled Christ. Because Christ came for Jerusalem, but by battling Christ, they were also battling against Jerusalem. And not only that, but even the house of David in their sin and rebellion took the side of the nations against the Christ, against Jerusalem. They will pierce him in this battle in Jerusalem. Isn't that what happened? Christ carrying the cross on the hill of Golgotha. The sovereign Lord, notice this, that even in the midst of this terrible action, even though they put the king to death, the sovereign Lord will still yet pour out his spirit of grace and supplication on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And what will they do? Because of the work of his spirit, they will look on him whom they have pierced and they will see, they will come to realize what they did. The Lord God in the person of King Jesus, they struck. The, by the pouring out of his spirit of grace and supplication, God will bring about a great morning. They will come to see. A great morning. The morning here is a morning unto repentance. A flood of tears. You just, when you read 10 through 14, all you see is just tears, water flowing from people's eyes because they come to realize what they did. They killed the Son of God. God whom God, the Son whom God sent in His love for the salvation of His people. They will see. They will come to realize that they pierced Him. Remember Pentecost? Remember at the cross? Women beating their breasts. This was their heinous sin. No more terrible sin than the one, than, than, than the son being rejected and being pierced through with a spear again and again over the whole course of history. We're not talking about the nations. We're talking about the history of God's people here. Again and again, people said, nah, we don't want to love God. We don't want to worship Him. We like the idols of the nations. We'll come back to that a little later. We like the other gods of the nations. Ah, this is kind of boring, the Word of God. We don't want to listen to that. Hey, those voices out there of the others, they sound, it sounds so much nicer. It, it tantalizes the, the senses. It's, it, uh, it, 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 it's good tasting. No, we don't want the word of God. And that was their tendency all throughout history. And then something, nothing, nothing more heinous. I mean, you talk about the pinnacle of all sin. The pinnacle of it all is them taking a spear and thrusting the Son of God, right? The gift of, of, of God for the world. 
thrusting him, piercing him to death. They will see. They will recognize. You know those words, sin, uncleanness, says it all. It just reveals the depth of the depravity of the human heart. It is deep. It is sinful. And that's what it reveals here in 13 verse 1. And they come to see it. That's what repentance is, right? You come to see your own heart for what it is. Right? How sinful, how depraved it is. And the flood of tears expresses that. The land is wet, soaking from the flood of tears. The widespread mourning. And even then, that does not solve the problem of sin, does it? Tears won't solve the problem of sin. Tears won't take away sin. It won't take away uncleanness. Is there any hope for these people? Think about our sin, right? Thrusting, piercing Christ on the cross. Is there any word of comfort left? Is there any word of hope in the weeping of sin? Ah, yes. God breaks out with a promise, a word of hope. That breaks out in verse 1. There is, in that day, a fountain shall be open for sin and uncleanness. That is, yes, God will open a fountain for forgiveness and cleansing. There's no way that we can cleanse ourselves. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing that we can earn to make ourselves right with God. But God, He will open a fountain for forgiveness and cleansing. On that day, a fountain shall be opened. Now, where does that cleansing from sin's power and defilement come from? It comes from the fountain. So, who is the fountain? What is the fountain? Where do people who are mourning for their sins, where do they go to? They go to the fountain. The tears won't take away the sins. (laughs) It recognizes our sins. But where do we go? We go to the fountain. Well, cleansing for sin and uncleanness comes from the one whom they pierced. Imagine the love of God. He sends his son. They pierce him. He uses him as the fount. He is the fount. The one pierced is the fount. If you would, you can turn with me to the Gospel of John. It's so beautiful. And it's just, these passages come to light. In John chapter 19, 31 to 37, John is just utterly amazed just how these verses in Zechariah come to fulfillment. You know, he gives a very short report of Jesus' death. Just a, couple, just a verse or two. But do you know what? He spends seven verses showing how Jesus' legs were not broken. You know, it was very unusual because everyone who was crucified, they would break their legs to hasten their death. But Jesus was already dead. He's in control of his hour. That was the one thing, how his legs would not be broken. But the other thing is how Jesus was pierced on his side with a spear. No one was ever pierced on the side with a spear. 
who was crucified, but Christ was. Verse 34 says, if you look at John 19, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And what do you read? You read about a fountain. And immediately blood and water came out. You see the fount? Christ? The fount from his side? It was opened. From where? From his side. No one ever crucified was ever struck with a spear in the side. These people, these soldiers, the soldier who did this, did this all unknowingly. But God knew exactly what was happening. He worked this out. From his side, blood and water flowed out. The fount is opened. And not shall be opened. We live in the day that it is open. It has been opened. From the side of Christ. And John sees how God, he's just amazed how God fulfills his word to Zechariah. The word from Zechariah 12, verse 10 and 13, verse 1. Notice what John says in verse 35. He who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. For what purpose? So that you may believe. There it is. That you may believe. That you may come to the fount from your tears. They may come to the fount for cleansing. That you may come to the fount for forgiveness and rest in him. That's where sinners need to go. Sinners need to rest in his finished work of the cross. That flow of blood from his water, from his side, the flow of water and blood from his side. You know what's so amazing here? One they pierced, God uses as the fount. That's love. That's grace. What we failed to do, what the house of David failed to do, Jesus himself did for Israel. Right? He is the Israel. He is the embodiment of Israel in his person, the fulfillment of Israel. He did what Israel did not do, is that love God perfectly, as his people should have done. And yet he takes full responsibility. He takes full responsibility for Israel's failure, and he gives his own perfect life as a sacrifice to cleanse, to atone, to cover the sins of his people. See how salvation is of the Lord? We not only pierce him with our sins, but God says, I'm also going to provide the fountain. The, the, the salvation comes from me. I give my son. The one you pierce, the side is open. How can you say, but, oh, the depth, Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. A fount is opened. This is what God's promise. He promised it. Should we ever doubt God's promises, even for the future? He will make sure. He will use even sinful men to accomplish his sovereign purposes in the universe. And that's why we can sing. I hope to sing the song afterwards. There is a blood, sorry, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that blood. 
lose all their guilty stains. Wow. You know, John says, this is the truth, and I say it to you, that you may believe. Yeah, but you don't know, and I've heard this before, you don't know all the bad things I've done. I said, I don't need to know all the bad things you've done. Christ knows already. He tells you where to go. Come to the fount. The world says, go to hell. God says, come to the fount for cleansing, for renewal. 1 John 1 verse 7. We heard that this morning. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from some of our sin, from all sin. Hebrews 10.22 exhorts us, let us draw near with our true heart and full assurance of faith. That means don't come doubting as if Christ is not going to do that for you. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. He takes away the evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. He says, don't only see the fountain. You see it in scripture. But by faith, come to the fountain. Come to the fountain for cleansing. Drink it. Believe. Without this fountain, yeah, there, there's no hope. You, you, you perish in sin. There is no, there's no salvation. God provides that salvation. Total cleansing, complete forgiveness from uncleanness are found just in that particular fount, in the death of Christ alone. You know what? No sin is so terrible that God cannot cleanse. The stains of your sin are not so stubborn that he cannot remove it. Hear God's promises. Hear how God promises to pour out the spirit of grace and supplication in order for us to look to Christ. You know, naturally we would never look to Christ. But we need the spirit of grace and supplication to come to us first. And you know what the beautiful thing is? Those in whom he works repentance. Those in whom the spirit works repentance. They will look to Christ. Alone by faith. For cleansing. You will find that cleansing fountain to be true. It's opened for you. See from his head, his hands, his feet. See from his side. But there's more. It's a fountain of grace, of course, in two ways. For cleansing, for forgiveness. But it's also a fountain of renewal. Right? And we see that in the second point here. It's, it, it's a kind of a fountain that refreshes with the waters of Christ to drink from it and it refreshes you to a new obedience to God and to his word. It's, it's spirit. He gives us spirit for us to want to obey him. That leads us then to that second point for renewal. The fount is opened. From his side flow blood and water, the forgiveness of sins. Remember the cleansing through his blood. Renewal by his spirit. Yeah, there's more. Jesus is not just half a savior. We don't just go to him for forgiveness and go on and do our own thing. When we embrace Christ, we go to the fount. He is a full savior. He forgives and he says, now I'm going to give you my spirit and I'm going to do a new work in you. He's talking about the house of David. He's talking about the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to do a new work in you. Wow. We speak of urban renewal. 
right? Giving a certain section of the city a facelift and make it look good again. But God renews the land, filling the earth with what? With his church, sprinkled all throughout the nations. That's the renewal that God sends on the earth, throughout the land. The land, of course, today is, is the earth. And so he renews them unto a new obedience by the working of the Spirit's power. Right? You see, you call it the culture of life. Where do we find the culture of life? Where God is at work by his Spirit. Everything else is a culture of death. Don't we see the culture of death all around us? It's depressing. And how much more to see the culture of renewal, the culture of life, and that God has defeated the culture of death. And therefore we may go forward in confidence and hope that he is renewing the face of this earth through his people, through his word. And you notice that, we're going to show this in a few ways how he's doing that, but we're not focusing on verses 2 through 6. Notice that in verse 2, God also gives a beautiful promise. Notice here, it's not a command, <laughs> although he gives that in the Ten Commandments, but he gives a promise. As if his people are really looking forward to this. He says, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. It's a promise. I will do this for you. I will cut off the names of the idols of this land. They shall no longer be remembered. And I will also cause false prophet and unclean spirit to depart from the land. All make sure they are all gone for you. Of course, that will be ultimately realized when Christ returns. But he's already doing that now. I'll make sure they're all gone. All those idols, all those people who want to use Bible, the Bible in the wrong way and say false things, I'll make sure they're gone. Because I'm God. And because I sent my son to bring uh, freedom from sin, to cleanse from uncleanliness. You need to see that right away in Zechariah 14, verse 8. Look at a few passages. Zechariah 14, verse 8. In that day it shall be the living waters that shall flow from Jerusalem. That means that flows from God's people. That flows from the church. Where does that renewal come from? Ah, remember, Christ is not a half of Christ. He's the full Christ. It comes from Him. The renewal comes from Him, of course, now by His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies what Christ has accomplished on the cross. He forgives, but he also renews. Sometimes that's the other part we tend to forget about. Right? But John 7, 37, 39. You know, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles, and he, he's declaring the gospel to them, to the Jews. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's the first thing he says. Drink from me. Ultimately, it's going to come from his side. And then he says, he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of flowing, uh, of flowing waters. And of course he says in verse 39, referring to the Holy Spirit. The rivers of flowing water refer to the Holy Spirit that flows in and through his people. Renewal unto obedience. Remember the Samaritan woman? How immoral she, had, she was? She had seven husbands. Oh no, six. Six husbands. She was working on her seventh. And he came, she came with her paltry little jug to the well to get water. And she meets Jesus. And Jesus says to her, the water that I shall give will become a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. This woman repents and she believes. You know what she did? 
She left her jug behind. And what did she walk away with? The well. <laughs> she didn't need that jug anymore. She walked away with the well. She walked away with Jesus, her bridegroom, Christ. Wow. Refreshment. Life. Peter in his sermon calls the people in Acts 3, 19 to repent and be converted. He says that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See, forgiveness and renewal. Blood and Holy Spirit. The full Christ. Not just to have. We are privileged to live in those days because we have so much. Let's turn to Zechariah 13 verse 2 for a moment. And consider just a few implications for today of the fountain being open for the renewal by the Spirit for the church today. Notice what God does. He cuts off the names of the idols from the land. So much so that you no longer remember the names. It's gone from your memory. And even God causes the prophets who speak falsely in his name to depart. He's talking about prophets who speak in his name. There's a lot of religious people who call themselves Christians and they're not speaking truly according to the word of God. God says they will depart. They will leave the land. So it goes to show the importance of discerning the spirit, the age, right? Many applications can be drawn from this. But I think one thing, you know the snare of idolatry is, is so powerful today. It continues in many forms today. Sure, we can talk about climate, climate gods, Mother Earth, goddesses of sex, drag queens. We can talk about our obsession with our own image. That's idolatry, sort of say. Right? But I want to bring up one thing, I think, which is very, very popular among children today and teens. Why don't you listen really carefully, children? And parents, too. The superheroes? Marvel? The Eternals? In comics? Or movies? I think you know some of the names. Sentry? I, I had to look this up, so I had to look at Hypercon? Wonder Man? Gladiator, Iscaris, Hulk, Thor. Now, you know, you can say there's some good in there, but it's kind of like looking for a nice apple in the midst of a dirty toilet. You try to pick up some things out of a dirty toilet. That's what you're doing. But there's three problems. First of all, how many, for how many, for, for many, they become heroes or idols to emulate. They're not thinking Christ. They're thinking heroes to emulate. They're obsessed with them. Aggression. You notice that? There's aggression. There's fighting. There's violence. And there's fake courage. Nonsense. It's not real. Right? Although, it's sinfully real. Second, you notice that they confuse fact with fiction? I know a person who believed in Santa Claus. Really believed in Santa Claus. And when he found out Santa Claus wasn't real, he found out, oh, Jesus isn't real either. He was thinking that. So, you know what it does? It prepares you in such a way that you start thinking, what's fact, what's real, 
what's not real. That's another problem with it. The third thing is, and this is the worst, they say bad things about God in their movies and in their comics. They defame his name. I'll give you one example. Marvel, for example, uses the name Yahweh. That's the holy name in the Bible. Uses the holy name of the Bible. And Yahweh has a drinking problem. He's an alcoholic. What is that training children to think? Right? Yahweh has a drinking problem. He's suffering from a personality disorder. And he suffers from temper tantrums. Is that the image you believe that we want to see is real of Yahweh? Oh, that's, that's blasphemy. God says, I promise all this will depart. I will cut off. That's, he, does, he doesn't even use his command here. This is a, a privilege to know that he delivers us from these confusing, sinful, perilous, dangerous characters. They're lying prophets as well with unclean spirits. That's what they are. Knowing again God's promise, he encouraged us to stay away from idols to whom Christ dealt a death blow on the cross. He did. He said, I did cut them off. I will cut off the names of the idols from the land in such a way you'll no longer remember them. I will cause the unclean spirit to depart from the land. You know, children, stay far away from those idols because you might leave some, some idols, but then some idols like to come in through the back door and they like to tantalize you and you think, ah, oh, they're not idols. Oh, what does John say at the end of his gospel or first epistle? He says, little children, keep yourselves away from idols. You know, don't turn away from the fount. That's no good place to go. Turn to the fount. Come to the fount. It's opened. And I have to add this. Jesus is not a superhero. Please, do you hear that? It's simply not true. It's scandalous to call Jesus a superhero. He's real. Superheroes aren't. He's God in the flesh. He came to earth to live the perfect life, to lay it down as the perfect sacrifice. How can we ever compare him to a superhero? He conquered sin, death and hell, through his death and resurrection. He brought eternal life, freedom, from death, sin, fear, and confusion to all who trust in him. This is real. This is clear. He is truth. He is life. You know what takes courage? It takes a lot of courage and fearlessness to follow him and to stand for the truth. The fountain is opened for forgiveness and renewal. Right? It will be fulfilled in all its glory when Christ returns. When he returns, the picture of Revelation is total cleansing and total renewal throughout the land, the entire earth, a new heaven, a new earth. The gods of the nations will be utterly gone, remembered no more. God has promised us. You think he'll keep his promise? What a glory. He will keep his promise. This is good news. 
And what a day that will be when that struggle is over. God will receive the honor and glory. Let's sing together.